10 in your Bibles this morning, Matthew chapter number 10. We're going to read verse 1 through 5, and your Bible probably will just open automatically to Matthew 10 at this point. We have been walking through that for some time. Such a blessing seeing these young ladies coming and uh, sharing their faith publicly in Christ, and, and um, so proud of them, it's so great to have Kobe. Matthew chapter 10, let's read verse 1 down to verse number 4. The Bible says that now when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the first Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labius, whose surname is Thaddeus. Verse 4, Simon the Canaanite, or the Simon the Zealot, also known as, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Father, we thank you for your word today. We are so blessed to know that the God who created us loved us enough to send his only begotten son into this world to die in our place that we might be brought back to God. Thank you for your word today. I pray that our hearts and our ears would be attentive to the word of the living God, that if anyone today is saved and out of the will of God, that they would find themselves humbled and, and repentive and, and seeking to be right with you, God. We, we, we desire that you would work in our midst, and we pray also that if anyone doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. That if any would hear your word, that they would not harden their heart. And we rejoice in hearing of one, even in the last hour, who called out to Christ for salvation. Praise the name of our Lord. Blessed now, we ask in Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. You may be seated this morning. <clears throat> well, I am preaching to you from what feels like being on a boat. I woke up this morning at 4.30 feeling dizzy, and it's not gone away, so... Uh, I'm going to hang on to this pulpit. If I fall over, I'll pull the chair up next to me. So uh, you pray for me as we jump into this today. I could not hold myself back from preaching today, so uh, you're going to get what you get here, all right? I uh, made it through the early service, so you're test number two, so I should be fine. But uh, Judas Iscariot is probably one of the most popular of the disciples, but not in a good way. And we have examined the life of 11 of the apostles, and we have been edified by their life, many of which were incredible testimonies and examples to us. But Judas stands as one who is not a good example. He stands as one who becomes uh, the, the man that was in the group who was notorious because he became the betrayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. But there are also many things we can learn from bad examples, and that's what we will do with this man named Judas. Nowhere in the world is being a traitor a virtue. Most countries reserve the death penalty for those who commit treason. And we live in a world today where people have felt the sting of betrayal. And if you're here today and, and, and you have had people in your life, there's probably an opportunity where you have felt that sting, maybe a a peer at work who undercut you and you thought they 
cared about you, but they betrayed your trust. <clears throat> Sometimes betrayal can happen inside of a family. Um, Sometimes some of the, I believe, really the most painful of betrayals can happen inside of a marriage when those who once said, I do, go out and break those marriage vows and, and the sting of that can be so incredible. But in all of human history, there has never been a man who's been more notorious for his betrayal than the man who is before us today on the pages of Scripture And eternity will ring with the name of Judas Iscariot, the great betrayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were ever to betray someone, how could it be the Lord Jesus? How could it be the loving Lord Jesus? And no matter how great you and I have ever been wronged by someone, and and, and, and that can be pretty severe at times, none of us have been betrayed worse than Jesus has been betrayed. Because none of us has offered such love, grace, kindness, mercy so perfectly as Jesus offered Judas. And to not simply be rejected, but betrayed, sold out, and even turned over to the enemy. No one has ever lived who was so privileged to live not only in the days of Jesus, but then to be called in the realm of being one of the twelve disciples. I mean, the privilege that Judas had is, is incredibly astounding in light of what he would do to Christ to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. No one in history has been closer to heaven who went to hell. No one has been so close to the truth and rejected it for a lie. And no one has been in the presence of such love and responded in a hateful rejection. No one has offered so much and sold it for so little. Judas became the man who made the worst deal in human history. He traded heaven for earth. He traded eternity for a month's wages. He traded plastic for gold and poverty for riches and shame for glory. And so who is this man called Judas Iscariot? By the name Judas, it would seem that his parents had high hopes for him. The name Judas actually means he shall be praised but he was ironically anything but praised. Judas is actually another name for Judah, which was one of the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel and and the tribe from which Jesus Christ came from. Judah and Benjamin were the only two tribes who held to the southern kingdom where King David was. And so the early church universally disdained Judas. They always list Judas at the end of the list of the apostles and They do here in Matthew chapter 10. They always identify him as a traitor. Matthew 10, 4, Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Matthew 26, 25, then Judas, which betrayed him. Matthew 26, 48, now he that betrayed him. Matthew 27, 3, then Judas, which had betrayed him. They they, they could not distinguish him from being a betrayer. The Bible doesn't say where Judas met Jesus. Maybe he saw some of the miracles that Jesus did. Maybe his display of power was revealed in some sense to Judas who came and followed him. Maybe he came with the Judean crowd and came in that southern portion of Israel and heard John the Baptist preach, which James, Andrew, John, and Peter had found Jesus through that. And maybe he heard John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. The title Iscariot is not his last name. 
As I said, in those days, they didn't have last names. They would identify you from another person who had your first name with your father's name or with your grandfather's name. So they would say like James and John, the sons of Zebedee. But with Judas Iscariot, that was letting you know where he was from, just like Jesus of Nazareth. So Iscariot means men of Kerioth, which was a town about 23 miles outside of Jerusalem. And so he was, interestingly, the only disciple of the 12 that was born uh, in Judea and was from Judea, which if you break Israel down in three sections, the southern third would be Judea, the middle section would be uh, Samaria, and the upper area of Israel would be Judea or Galilee where the Sea of Galilee was. And Galilee was where the other 11 disciples were from, and it's where Jesus grew up in Nazareth, which was just a few miles away from, uh, about 25 or so miles away from the Sea of Galilee. So Judas was an outsider. Judas was not among that other group. They, many of them knew one another. Uh, three of the, six of the disciples were actually brothers. Seven of them, according to John 21, uh, were fishermen. Uh, but So they would have known each other, very likely, and potentially all of them knew each other. Many of them were very close, siblings and friends and, and co-workers. But Judah, Judas was just outside of the group. And, um, and the Bible doesn't tell us uh, when Jesus calls Judas to follow him, but we know, in fact, Jesus does call him to be one of the 12 disciples. The Bible tells us that Jesus spent all night in prayer, and when it came to be day, he called unto them whom he would, and he named them his disciples and who became the 12 apostles. Now at that point, Judas, when he was called by Christ, you need to understand, was willing to leave everything he had. He left whatever job he had, and we don't know what that occupation was. When you think about in John 6, everyone left Jesus the thousands in the crowd left Jesus, but Judas stayed. Judas kept following. Though Judas stayed close to Jesus, he never gave his soul to Judas or to Jesus. So why then did Judas follow Jesus if it wasn't for spiritual? The reason that Jesus followed Judas was the same reason many of the Jews heralded him. They wanted to put a crown on him. They wanted him to relieve their Roman oppression. They, they believed the Messiah would come and, and set up a physical kingdom and be a deliverer. They, they had no understanding of the spiritual kingdom. That was a mystery to them that's revealed in the New Testament. And after seeing all the miracles that Jesus did, and, and Jesus talked about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, and, and, and Judas uh, just never understood that reality because his mind was focused on money. His mind was focused on earthly gain. He never could grasp and fully understand the spiritual message because he couldn't get the physical lust of covetousness out of his heart. And let me say this, sin blinds you to biblical truth. It leaves you with plastic instead of heaven's gold. And so Judas missed it. Matthew, Mark, and John's gospels all record an incident that happens that I believe is what pushed Judas over the edge. If you turn with me to John chapter number 12. John chapter number 12. Here in John chapter 12, we have an incident that happens. It's the last week of our Lord's life. This is most likely the Wednesday before he is crucified that Friday. Jesus is in Bethany, which is about two miles outside of 
Jerusalem on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. It was a place of repose for him as he would stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It was a quaint town. It was not large. And he would get out of the hustle and bustle of Jerusalem and find a place uh, to relax. And, and he was welcome there. While he's there, this is about two weeks after he had raised Lazarus from the dead. He is at a table eating and there is a feast going on. A woman enters the room. She's holding a box of ointment, which was a vessel containing a very costly perfume of spikenard, which was from India. It was so valuable that it would take about a year's wage in that time to purchase it. She comes in and the Bible tells us in John 12 verse 3, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus. Isn't that something that her most valuable prize she felt was not worthy to go and rise above even the feet of our Lord? And wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. I always think about when she does that, everybody in the room would say, what is that smell? What is that smell? And then it would have been whispered across the room, did you see what she just did? She has taken her most valuable possession and has poured it out on Jesus. At that point, everybody knew that that box of ointment wasn't the most precious thing to Mary. Jesus was the most precious thing to Mary. Because she gave up her most costly possession for the one that she loved the most. If something cost us, whatever you make in a year, and you think about how much that would be in a little container, we wouldn't have been pouring that out, we would have been dripping it. <laughs> We'd have been the drippers. <laughs> I mean, there's thousands of dollars right there. There's a few more thousands, a few more thousands. She just dumps it all the way. And we don't know how she knew this, but somehow she knew more than the other disciples. Perhaps it was in Luke 10 when she sat at his feet and heard his word. And Christ may have told her at that time, I think, as I read between the lines of Scripture, when Martha was busy getting lunch ready, and she says, wouldn't you tell my sister to come and serve me? And, and Mary sat and listened to the words of Christ, and Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. I just wonder if at that time, which was just not too far before this, that he would have told her, Mary, my crucifixion's coming up, and, and I know that you have that vessel of ointment. And when they crucify me, there will be no time for preparing my body for the burial, and I want you to anoint me before I get crucified. Who knows if Jesus told her that, but something propelled her to do this. And Jesus goes on to say in John 12, verse 4, then saith uh, that, that this, he, she did this for his uh, burial. But listen to who bursts out when, when this great gift of love is given in John 12, verse 4. Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. This is only one, I believe, of three places that Judas ever speaks in Scripture. He says, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? You're wasting your resources on Christ. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put in. He was the group's treasurer. He was so trusted, they made him the treasurer among the disciples. 
Judas, though, had enough. When he saw this and he knew that he just lost out on something he could have sold and put the money in, 300 pence, uh, 300 denarii, or uh, which is about a year's wages, he could have skimmed off so much of that on the top for himself. This just infuriated him. It was immediately after that that he went out and betrays Jesus. Matthew 26, verse 14 says, Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went into the chief priests and said unto them, What will you give me that I will deliver him unto you? Uh, second time he spoke, and they covenanted him for 30 pieces of silver. From that time he sought opportunity to betray him. You know, Judas becomes the perfect example in the scripture of someone who loves money, which became the root of all evil to him. He, he defines the man in Luke 12 that Jesus says, what does it profit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Judas was willing to do that. But did that money satisfy him? Did that lie from Satan fulfill his heart? You know, instead of his covetousness satisfying him, it in fact became his ruin. It's interesting that after he finds out what happens, he takes the money and gives it back and he goes out and commits suicide. It was, it was covetousness that destroyed him. As the poem so rightly says, still of old, man by himself is priced. For 30 pieces of silver, Judas sold himself, not Christ. Judas doesn't realize that it was Judas that was sold that day. And bereft of the presence of Christ being used by Satan, Judas now feels the weight of the emptiness of covetousness and the Christless life. And in him is fulfilled James 1.15 when it says this, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and when sin is finished, it brings forth death. Matthew 27 records that when Judas finds out Christ was condemned, that he sought to return the money. Verse 27, verse 3, Matthew 27. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he or Jesus was condemned, repented himself, brought again the 30 pieces of silver unto the chief priests and elders and said, saying, I have sinned that I have betrayed the innocent blood, the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? They didn't care. So thou, see thou to it. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. According to Acts 1.18, his hanging failed and he fell down headlong off of the hill or cliff that he was on and he burst in the midst. He must have fell on some rocks and his bowels gushed out. That, that's the end of the life who loved covetousness. That's the end of the life who chose sin over the Savior I've had people ask through the years, do you believe Judas will be in heaven since it says that he was repentive? The answer to that is a resounding no. Judas is in hell. Judas went to hell. He went straight to hell. The Bible tells us he went to his own place. I'll never forget a man in Chillicothe when we were a church planter there. And, and he says, I believe that Judas is in heaven, that he's the greatest symbol of the mercy of God upon a person. That he repented of himself, as the Bible said, and today he's in heaven. I said, you're sadly mistaken, friend. You need to understand your scriptures. Matthew 26, 24, listen to what Jesus said. He said, the Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son is betrayed. Read it with me, church. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. 
So if he's going to be the pinnacle of God's grace in heaven, why would Jesus say it's better he was never even born? Better to have never existed than to sell Jesus out. This man is in hell, friends. And by the way, is suicide the fruit of true salvation? Do you trust in Christ and go out and commit suicide? How ridiculous. You need to understand the word repented in Matthew 27 is a different Greek word than used in Matthew 3.2 when it says John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a different word than the word repent in Matthew 4.17 when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The, the word used in Matthew 4.17, Matthew 3.2 and other places speaking about repentance to salvation is metanoieo and this word is metamelomai which is a different word. It's like being remorseful, regretting the decision you made. So he wasn't repenting unto salvation. He was regretting what he had done. There are some people who think they're saved today because they regret their decisions. That doesn't mean that you're saved. Repentance is also a surrender to Christ who begins to transform you from the inside out. So let's look at 10 lessons from the life of Judas. 10 lessons that we can learn from this man, the greatest of all betrayers. And the first is, we need to learn from Judas to be real. We need to learn from Judas to be real. When you think about Judas and any pictures that portray Judas, I mean, you would look at the guy and be like, why did Jesus ever pick that guy? I mean, he's got dark eyeshadow around his eyes. He's wearing a black trench coat and he's holding a knife while standing in the shadows. I mean, that's the picture that we get painted to us from, from the, the world, right? I mean, you would look at the guy and be like, yeah, yeah, I'm not turning my back on that guy. But that's not how he is, a, that's not who he was. And that's a terrible portrayal of him. Judas Iscariot isn't the sinister guy off a scary movie. Judas Iscariot would have been the guy that you'd be like, man, I could feel like I could trust my kids with this guy. I feel like, man, you know, I could, Judas, why don't you, why don't you keep ownership of my bank account? I trust you that much. I mean, Judas held the bag for the group. After three years of following Jesus, no one believed Judas was going to be the betrayer. How good of a hypocrite must he have been to have concealed his lies, his covetousness? I mean, the man was robbing Jesus. And Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. They didn't have much... Anyway, and he's robbing what he had. I mean, how low could you be? In the upper room, in Matthew 26, 21, it says, And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, saying, I knew it was Judas. Is that what they say? No. It says, And every one of them began to say, Lord, is it I? I mean, they suspected themselves before Judas. You know what's crazy too? One of the most shocking things to me is like after Jesus says, one of you guys will betray me, it says in John 13, 27 in that gospel account, it says, and after the sop, he administers the Lord's Supper. And it says, and after the sop, Satan entered into to him. Satan comes into Judas. Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest do quickly. So Judas gets up and leaves. Jesus like, one of you guys are going to betray me. It says, Judas, what you're going to do, do quickly. He leaves. And then it says this. 
Verse 28, now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, uh, because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we need against the feast or that he should give something to the poor. Really? I mean, don't you guys have any discernment at all? And I think if we were there, we'd be like, there's no way Judas could do that. There's no, I mean, I, he must have had a face of innocence. He must have been the guy that's like, man, if anybody wore a halo around their head, it's Judas. Like Judas would have been the guy that would have, would have been offered, uh, to, you know, to, to take care of things, man. You know, I can really trust this guy. You know, the Greeks in those days loved putting on plays. I've been in Israel in these amphitheaters where in the amphitheater they'd have a stage and a little half theater. And under the stage there were rooms that you could go down into and and they, they, down there is where actors would change and they would come out. And, and actors in those days would have a script that they would read. They would play a part. They would dress the part. And, and you know what they called the actors that did that? They called them hypocrites. We get the English word hypocrite from. A hypocrite was, was someone who played the part. They knew the lines to say. Yet you ever know somebody like that? Their life hasn't. By their words, they confess they know him, but by their actions, they deny him. They, they know the language. They can quote the scriptures. They, they can say all the right stuff. But their life is just a big facade. It's a fake. If ever there was a hypocrite, Judas is the ringleader. Three years following Jesus. Three years he preached along with Jesus. He did miracles. He did all those kind of things with the other disciples. Yet his body was there, but his heart was not. He goes down in history as the fake of all fakes, the phony of all phonies. And in a world with so much fake, so much that's not genuine and real, if there was ever a day when, when the world needs God's people to be authentic, to be real, to be genuine, is it not in our day? Is it not now when we look upon the, the, you look in the world of politics, you're like, is anybody genuine? Does anybody have conviction and belief? Christians, don't be like the world, be real. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, pray not like the hypocrites who want to be seen. Fast not like the hypocrites who only want to be seen. Give not like the hypocrites who only want to be seen. They do it all for show because the actor always wants the spotlight. Don't be like them. Be glad when people don't know your name when you've done a good work. Our faith is not for man, it's for God and to be honoring to Christ. Listen, teens, be real. Be real. I'll never forget when I was in high school, I had a friend on our football team named Chuck. He was a running back, and I was a fullback on the team. And I said, man, I um, want you to come to church sometime with me. And he says, man, he said, I would. But I he said, you just got, there's, so, there's guys that go to your church. He said, we'll go out and smoke weed together. And he's like, they're going to go to church. I just can't be a part of that. I'm going to tell you something, teens. You want to smoke weed? You're, you, you may be the one keeping people from heaven. You may be the reason some people end up in hell. Did you hear me? Well, weed's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal, right? That's why my buddy never heard the gospel. My faithfulness could not outdo their unfaithfulness. As an unbeliever, he knew that would mess them up. 
He knew it was wrong. You're going to live in fornication. You're going to live in adultery. You're going to live smoking and and drinking and going out and carousing. You you think that's only having an effect on you? I can tell you this. The world knows how Christians are supposed to live. Amen. They'll tell you how you're supposed to live. And when you don't live up to that, it will reflect upon Jesus. None of us are a perfect reflection, but I can tell you this much. We need to be real about it. People say, well, the church is just full of hypocrites. No, it's not. Well, nobody at church is perfect. Let me ask you this question. Who's the last person at church who said they were perfect? You're a hypocrite if you think you are perfect because you won't be perfect. But there ain't nobody in this room claiming to be perfect. When some people say, church is filled with hypocrites, I I, I say, no, it's not. No, we're a bunch of people who realize how much we need Jesus and his mercy and forgiveness. We don't live for him perfectly, but we live for him in genuineness and sincerity. I believe the church is filled with genuine people who love Christ, the true churches anyway. Have we all been hypocritical at times? Of course we have been. But that's not how we're defined. We're serious about this thing called Christianity, amen? So don't, don't, don't pass that off. Be real. Parents, be real for your kids. Kids can see right through it. I told the early church, and I'll tell this hour as well, uh, go and ask my children the question, is your dad the same at home as he is at church? I have no, no qualms about that. Feel free to anytime ask that. Because, listen to me, the reason I say that is I'm more concerned about what my kids think about me than honestly what you think about me. <laughs> I don't know how that came across, but I didn't thought about saying it, but I just... <laughs> I mean, I just, because I, 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 you know, I, 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 I always want my kids to know that whatever you see at church, your dad is, is, is the same dad at home. There ain't no difference to them. I, I, you know, Pastor Josh, do you know Pastor Josh is also the pastor of my, my, my wife? I'm my wife's pastor. I'm my children's pastor. And, and whether I preach here or I'm at home, I don't go around, I don't go around preaching like this at home, Okay. <laughs> But you know, our life is our message, isn't it? Our life is our message. I heard a preacher years ago say this. He said, I want to do my best preaching when I get off the pulpit. Boy, I, I, I long that to always be true. And, and, and it's not that we're always perfect parents, but let us be authentic and genuine. You want your kids to grow up to love Christ, you love Christ with all of your heart. Don't be so worried about the influence outside of your home. Be more worried about the influence of Christ in your soul. Because you become the greatest influence in their life. Husband and wife, be real. You know what what breaks my heart is when I sit down with a couple and they say, you know, Pastor Josh, what you see in my husband or what you see in my wife here is not what they're like at home. I'm like, why not? It's destroying your marriage. Husband and wife, be real. However you treat your, your spouse here, treat them like that at home. If you don't cuss your wife out and your husband out here, don't be cussing them out at home. If you don't talk to them like a dog here, don't talk to them like a dog at home. And in fact, some people talk better to their dogs than they do their spouses. Is that tragic? Is that a violation of every command of God that says love God with all your heart and love others as yourself and husbands love your wife like Christ loved the church and wives reference your husband like Christ And when you talk to your husband like a dog, you're talking to Christ like a dog. And when you talk to your wife like a dog, you're talking to Christ like a dog. 
You get that straight and you get on your knees today and ask God for forgiveness. Because your kids see that and they say, Jesus is not even real in this home. My parents are fake. And you need to go and ask your children for forgiveness. And your wife for forgiveness and your husband and get right with God. And stop worrying about what they did and you don't know what it's like to live with them. Well, you don't know what it's like to live with you. Would you want to be married to you? Yeah, that's why you're bowing your head. Amen. (laughs) But don't we need to be real today? We need to hear this, don't we? You're going to turn TV on and hear a message like this? You're going to watch Fox or CNN and hear this? They ain't going to hear it. We need somebody to tell us the truth. And you know what happens to hypocrites? Jesus said in Matthew 24, 51, hypocrites go to hell. Secondly, only got nine more points. The dizziness is clear enough. I'm going a little longer. I better, better stay the course. <laughs> Secondly, don't let hypocrites define your faith. Let Jesus define your faith. The other ones are a lot quicker than the first one. This is so important. I could summarize it pretty quick like this, though. In my years, we've all heard this before. You know, I don't, I used to go to church, but I don't go anymore because I knew a Christian who once, and they begin to tell you the story about how some Christian hurt their feelings. Some Christian hurt their trust. Some Christian offended them. Let me ask you a question. Are you following Judas or are you following Jesus? Don't let Judas define your faith. Let Jesus define your faith. Why would you let some Judas who hurt your feeling, some Judas action, somebody who offended you, now cause how you follow Jesus based on Judas instead of Jesus? Why would you determine how you're going to live your Christian life based on the unfaithful one instead of the faithful one? I mean, we need to build our life around the will of Christ and not the unfaithful wickedness of some Judas. When I was a kid growing up, my pastor ran off with the secretary. That whole church dissolved. It died. My dad told me years later, he said, I saw that man... And he came up to me in tears and he said, if I could have gone back a thousand times, I would have. So regretful. He ended up marrying that woman. He had a beautiful wife who used to sing in the church. He left her for the secretary. He said, in a thousand times over, I would go back and have my old life again. Why? Because lust didn't, didn't fulfill you, right? You believe the lie. and You destroyed an entire church. Praise God that that didn't keep my parents out of church. If that kept my parents out of church, I wouldn't be here today. You don't let a Judas define your faith. You let Jesus define your faith. Amen? Thirdly, when your faith is tested, and believe me, it will be, don't sell it out. I believe Judas at one point probably believed Jesus to be the Messiah. At least in his heart and mind, he thought, you know, this, I really believe this could be the one. But as time went on and he began to see the sacrifice and he began to see that this thing is not unfolding like I thought and he heard Jesus say things like, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. This caused Judas to become disillusioned. Judas' faith was tested and he must have been at a down point in his life when the lies of Satan began to enter his heart. Some point along the lines, the lie came into Judas' mind, I can make more selling Jesus out than keeping Jesus in. Some, at some point that came into his heart. 
Everyone's faith will be tested. The fire doesn't destroy our faith, it validates it. Judas asked in Matthew 26, 15, what will you give me and I will deliver him to you? And you know, there's never been a worse deal made in history. He sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's about 30 days wages. About a month and a half working back then. It was the price of a common slave actually as well, which is interesting. Judas sold his soul for one month's earnings on earth. He sold eternity for the temporary. He sold salvation for damnation. And he sold literally everything for nothing. (laughs) So I would ask you today, when Satan comes along and he offers you a bargain, what's your price? What's your price? He may wait until your grandma gets cancer. He may wait until you go through some physical medical issue. He may wait until you have a down day or you feel depressed. He'll come along and say, what's your price? How much is this going to cost me to get you in my in my world. And he'll, he'll hand you what you think will satisfy. You need to commit in your soul today that I would rather die than sell Jesus out. I, I would rather face death than be a castaway. Someone asked me the other day, he said, what is your greatest fear in life? I said, my greatest fear is not to end well. I am not afraid of dying. I am not afraid of these kind of... I am afraid that somewhere along the lines I say with Paul, the great fear that I have is when I've preached to others, myself would have been a castaway. I never want to fall to the wayside. I want to preach until I die. I never want to retire. I don't want to go off and have some retirement home and go play golf and relax. That is not my desire. I would rather die and go to heaven. A thousand times over would I. I only want to be on earth for two reasons. For you and my family. That's it. For the glory of God lived out through the church and to love and care and provide for my family. Those are the, if you took my family and my church family away, Lord, I happily die and go to heaven. I would much rather die and go to heaven. What do I have here? You know? What is so good about earth? We cling to it like it's our little castles. This is... This is our chrysalis. We're we're going to shell this thing, aren't we? Fourth, rejecting Christ will open the door to the enemy. You know, nowhere does it say that Judas asked Satan to come into his heart. Nowhere does Judas say, Satan, would you come in and and, and impact my life? I really want to know. You know, in America is becoming satanic. Have you noticed that more and more? Have you noticed the worship of Satan? The blatant worship of Satan? Lebanon schools, my elementary school that I went to has a Satan club now in Wilmington, Ohio. There are Satan after school Bible, not Bible, but Satan clubs. I'm like, who's the what? Who's the, I got to watch my language. Who's the person? Who are the parents? The wackos is like, going, you know, maybe I need to say that, you know. It's the worst words you could use, but. It's the same kind of people that bring their kids and let drag queens like teach them. Like, who are these people? I mean, this is, is it, it's beyond insanity. I think of the older generation, like, I can't even imagine what you think. <laughs> it's, it's, and you know what it does? As America has rejected the gospel and the truth of Christ, Satan has now had the door freely opened. If you don't want light, you will go into darkness. 
Luke 22 verse 1 says, Now the feast of unleavened bread was drew nigh, which is the Passover, and the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, named Iscariot. You know, Satan entered in because Judas never let Jesus enter in. And if you keep the door shut to Christ, you've just opened it to the enemy. You don't want the light, you will go into darkness. I praise God today that RJ called out the Christ for salvation. But you know what, if this young man didn't do that, he would have left here and very good chance that he would have got thrust into further darkness and Satan would get a hold on people's life. And let me tell you this today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you keep rejecting the light, rejecting the truth, you will wind up in hell. You, you will wind up having greater condemnation upon you because you were closer to the light and it will thrust you into further darkness in comparison. How many people does the Bible say Satan entered into? You know how many? It says one. Satan entered Judas. Why did God let that happen? Because no one was closer to Jesus. And when you reject that much light, you will be given that much darkness. And, and so when you come and you hear a clear gospel message like you hear today, when you hear the Word of God preached week after week, if you can reject that, you will, in comparison to the amount of light given to you, will be thrust into that level of darkness. It's dangerous to be here if you don't accept the message. It is. I don't say that kiddingly or lightly. I say that very seriously. You will be held accountable for what you know. And, and, and praise God when you're saved because the truth will set you free and you'll grow in the truth and you'll grow in fruitfulness and you grow in joy and love and the blessings will be abundant upon your life. But if you choose to reject that, you choose to deny the truth, you choose to not follow Christ, it will cast your soul into a very dark place. There are some young people who come because their parents bring them. Thank you, parents. But I'm telling you something, young people. You keep rejecting this and you're going to find yourself one day standing out of the presence of God for all of eternity in a real hell. You hear me? I've seen it when I was a teenager. Many of the kids who came, their parents brought them. The kids didn't want to be there. I can tell you those kids today, some of them are Buddhists. Many of them have nothing to do with God. It was just all external to them. They never internalized it. And they're so far from God, so far in the dark. You take it light. I'm going to tell you, God doesn't take it light. Very serious to him. Number five, if Judas was perfectly obedient to the devil... Who possessed him, how much more should we be obedient to Christ who loves us? You know, Charles Spurgeon said, Should that we would be as faithful to Christ as Judas was to his master? Satan, was, Satan baptized Judas into covetousness, and Judas followed Satan exactly as Satan desired him. Some of us are saved today, and if you're saved and won't be baptized, Judas is more faithful to Satan than you are to Jesus. And that should shame your soul. That should cause you today to come down to an altar, get on your knees and say, Dear God, forgive me for this treacherous sin that I've disobeyed you and the number one command that you've given us after we get saved to be baptized. And I won't even do that. God forbid that Satan would have a more faithful allegiance from Judas than Jesus would from us. Amen? Number six, Satan can work even when Jesus is in the room. You know, Satan, when he came into Judas... Judas and the 12 disciples were all in the upper room. I mean, they were doing the Lord's Supper. I mean, this is one of the most intimate, glorious settings in all the Gospels. And it's in that 
very intimate place, Satan comes in the room. That means you could have a church service, souls being saved, people being baptized, Holy Spirit moving, and Satan could literally be in this room. That's how real that is. How do you overcome the enemy? Jesus gave us the way in Matthew 4, didn't he? When Satan came against Jesus, you know what's, uh, what Jesus did? He said, it is written, shall not tempt the Lord thy God. It is written, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word. It is written, and three times Jesus repels all three att- attacks against his soul and his life by using the word of God. The word of God is what gives you light, understanding. It's what grows your faith. Ephesians 6.16 says, take the shield of faith and you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. James 4.7 says, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you and you resist him with the very word of God. But you can't resist him with what you do not know. That's why it's important to read the word, isn't it? Number seven, the price of rejecting Christ will be greater than you realize. Judas did not know that his betrayal of Christ would lead to that level of consequence. When Judas found out what the betrayal cost, you know what he did? He came and cast that money down. He was sorrowful. And, and, and all, that, all that Satan had lied to Judas about, that you're going to be fulfilled when you get this money in your hand. Just wait till you hold it. Judas found out it, it doesn't satisfy. You know, that's how Satan works. Satan overpromises and underdelivers. I'll just take this drug, just take this fornication, just take this sex, just take this alcohol, just take this weed, just... Just take this. Take this money. Lie to your boss. Take that from the government. It will satisfy you. He wants you to think also that your sins will only affect you. It won't hurt anybody else. Judas found out that that money ended up destroying his life and it sold Jesus out. You know the reason Judas killed himself was because of the weight of the conviction that pressed down upon him. And James 1 tells us that when lust has conceived, it brings sin. And when sin's finished with you, it will kill you. It brings death. Satan is a killer. He come to seek, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Friend, if you're not saved, if you only realize how much it costs you to reject the Lord, it's a thousand times worse than anything you could imagine when you reject the gospel. Number eight, one sin, if not repented of, can destroy your life. You know, have you ever seen a beautiful tree, a big tree, and it's got a vine that has taken it over? And, and, and you know, you can have a great oak tree that a vine can end up killing. And, 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 and sin is like that vine. It attaches itself to us, and it grows up our life, and it begins to overtake us, and you've got to cut it off at the root. Covetousness was the vine in the life of Judas. Judas followed the most selfless, giving, non-greedy person in the history of the world for three years. And at the three years, he chose the lie of covetousness over Christ. You know, and you need to know this, Judas is that guy in Matthew 7, 23, when it says, Jesus says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, haven't we not prophesied in your name, in your name, cast out devils in your name, done many wonderful works? Jesus said, but I'll say to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Judas will be in that line. He's the guy that would be a preacher. He would have been the miracle worker guy. Judas did that kind of stuff. He preached, he cast out devils. He did all those things. Jesus gave him the ability to do that for a time. 
But covetousness is what held his heart. And don't you see that on TV, Christian TV so often? They're all about the show. They're all about the the hypocrites, the hypocrites are all about the actor. They, they, they build up the esteem. You know, in the Bible, when God did miracles, he said, don't tell anybody, but you have these big miracle crusades where they just want you to focus on all the miracles. And then what do they do? Fat pockets, Benny Hinn guys, they go for the money, don't they? I can tell you, those guys are like Judas's, phonies. There's pure preachers today that will end up in hell that were not even truly saved. Number nine, two last things. Jesus loved Judas. You need to know this. Even though Jesus knew Judas would betray him, Jesus never treated Judas any different. Isn't that amazing? I mean, never was he unloving to Judas. The Bible tells us in John 13, 21 that when Jesus had said this, he, tr- he was troubled in spirit. He's in the upper room. He's troubled in spirit. He's, he's really agitated on the inside. And he testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. It just stirred Christ. But you know, after this, I mean, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He washed Judas' feet. Judas had clean feet the night he went and betrayed Christ. You know what that teaches us? We need to love our enemies and leave the outcome up to God. We need to learn from Christ. Matthew 5, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. I can tell you in the day that we live in, you're going to need to know that a lot more. People will come against your Christianity more than they ever have in these coming months and years. They will hate you for Christ. Righteousness is becoming illegal in America and wickedness is being legally protected. They will despise you. Preaching on certain things will become illegal here as they are in Canada. And if you have people in your life that are bitter, angry, resentful, and hateful towards you, you need to respond with love and kindness. And don't don't believe a lie. You need to love them as Christ loved you. You know, when you and I pray, Father, forgive me as I forgive those who sin against me, it's saying, God, I want you to treat me in the exact same way that that I have treated my enemies. I want you to treat my sin the same way I have treated their sin. You ready to pray that today? And then number 10. Lastly, Judas, the Judases of life do not disrupt the plan of God. Judas's plans do not disrupt God's plans. How overwhelming and discouraging it is to see someone who is a pastor who falls into sin or some faithful Christian that you knew in your life fall into sin. You know, in that day, wouldn't they have run that on the headlines of Jerusalem? Uh, Judas Iscariot, the faithful one, you know, follower of Jesus. He even kept the money for Jesus. You know, he betrays Christ. You know, he sells him out. They would have loved to run that headline. The world looks at Jesus as as though he came and failed. That he was betrayed. He died at 33 as a failure. Ben Shapiro, who I uh, respect in many regards, said one of the most foolish and ignorant statements I've ever heard. He said he believes Jesus led a revolt against the Romans and was killed for his troubles. Ben Shapiro, who is a Jewish guy. So they have to make something up that makes absolutely no sense. So Jesus led a revolt against the Romans. Have you ever read any of the Bible, Ben Shapiro? He, why, why would he teach to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's if he led a revolt against them? <laughs> so ridiculous. You ever read Romans 13, 1 Peter 2? The world sees Jesus as one who failed, who didn't come to do what he wanted to do. But that's not the case. 
John 13, verse 18, Jesus says, I speak not of you all. I know who I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. That is a quotation out of Psalms 41, verse 9. Jesus quotes something that God wrote down 700 years before Judas was even born, declaring that Judas would do what he did. Jesus knew from the beginning who would betray him. He says this over and over. Even in Zechariah 11, verse 12 and 13, it says, They weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. This is a prophecy of the coming of Christ. And that Judas would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. How did it know that? 700 plus years before Christ's birth. Listen to me. Judas, Jesus kept telling people this, I know one of you is a devil, he says. I've chosen you and one of you is a devil. Because if Jesus didn't say that, they would have later said, well, if he's the Messiah and knows all things, he would, he would have known Judas would have betrayed him and therefore he couldn't be the Messiah because he picked a traitor. But Jesus did it on purpose. Yet in the evil of what Judas did, it did not disrupt the plans of God. Christ was troubled by this. It stirred his heart. But what Satan meant for evil, God was able to use for good. You know, God, praise God, he can transcend the enemy in our life. And what the enemy brings against us, God can turn for good in our life. You thankful for that today? The betrayal didn't mean Jesus was not troubled, but it did mean that God's plan would come to pass. Even after Judas left to betray him, Jesus says this, therefore, in John 13, 31, therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. How absolutely amazing that in the horror of what Judas did, God was still glorified. When when, when hell brought the worst thing against Christ, his death and crucifixion, heaven brought salvation to us. And from death, Jesus brought life. From sorrow, he brought joy. From tragedy, he brought triumph. From betrayal, he was glorified. And so what can you and I learn from the life of this betrayal? And this betrayer named Judas Iscariot, first of all, be real, friend. Christian, be real. Be authentic. Don't let hypocrites, secondly, hurt your faith. Don't you follow Judas. You follow Christ. Thirdly, when your faith is tested, and it will be, you never sell Jesus out. You die before you sell Jesus out. Number four, Satan works even when Jesus is in the room. Fifth, rejecting Christ opens the door in your soul to the enemy. Number six, if Judas was perfectly obedient to Satan, how much more should we be to Christ? Seventh, the price of rejecting Christ will be greater than you realize. You need to know that. Number eight, one sin, if you don't repent of, can end up destroying your life like a vine. Number nine, Jesus loves Judas and we need to love our enemies. And number 10, Judas is do not disrupt the plan of God. No matter what the world does, America, no matter what it does, in rebellion against God, it can never disrupt what God's plans are. Aren't you thankful for that? As I close, Judas' life presents to us the greatest tragedy of wasted privilege. No one ever had a greater privilege than Judas Iscariot. No one ever was given a greater opportunity and missed it. You're sitting here today, the Son of God here with His Word, giving you truth from the Scriptures. The Lord is, is, His Word has been proclaimed and today you could have salvation, you could trust in Christ, you could be saved. You could be right with Him. If your heart's stirred for that, you need to come today and be saved. Christian, if God spoke in your heart today, don't put that off. You do what God has led your heart to do today. Let's all stand this morning.
with heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, we just want to rejoice in God our Savior. We thank you for your death, your burial, and your resurrection. I thank you for Jesus Christ. You are my God and my Savior. And as we've studied this man named Judas Iscariot, our hearts are humbled by your grace. Lord, I praise you for how you have saved us. Lord, if it wasn't for your mercy, we would be like a Judas. God, I pray if anyone today doesn't know Christ, that today would be the day of salvation. God, I pray for Christians today that have been convicted by your word. I pray that they would do business with God. Let them not leave here today without getting right. Oh God, let no one leave today lost. May your spirit be poured out in this time. We rejoice in God our Savior. May your word not return void. Let it produce the fruit you so desire in us. In Jesus' name, amen. 